This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 121 of the iFreaks show. This week on our panel, we have Andrew Madsen. Hello from Salt Lake City. Mike Ash. Hello from Fairfax, Virginia. James Zuber. Hello from Minneapolis. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's uh, Gabor Santo. Hi, everyone, from a very long-named place in Hungary. It's called Kaponashnik. Awesome. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick? My hobby, I have two main hobbies. One is coding, and the other one is DJing. I was starting with DJing first in the 90s. I had a few residences here in uh, Budapest, Hungary. Then I started to produce music, and um, with my friends, we had a band called Tectonic. We got signed to uh, Strictly Rhythm New York, and we had a few dance chart hits in the UK and the US, some top 20 titles. And then uh, my other hobby was always was, you know, uh, programming and coding and especially low level stuff and assembly. So I started to move into that direction. Obviously, I, I did some web development first because that was the hottest topic in the 2000s. But then when the iOS SDK became available, I started to develop a DJ application for my own. And I quickly realized that implementing a desktop class or professional class audio on mobile devices is definitely not straightforward because of the resource constraints of the devices. So I started to research audio and optimization stuff. And slowly I built some serious audio DSP algorithms. And now we have a startup build around that. It's called Superpowered. What does Superpowered do? Superpowered is a cross-platform audio processing library. It's a static library without any third-party dependency. And it doesn't use any features of the underlying operating system. And it also has the highest performance available on mobile devices, providing you very low CPU usage and very high battery life, which is very important for users. And it also provides desktop class audio processing. So it's not a limited stuff, but it really provides you the audio processing tools to port from desktop class applications to mobile devices. It's cross-platform, meaning it runs on iOS and Android, and you can use exactly the same code on both platforms. So you just write your audio code once, and then it's copy-paste between iOS and Android. We also have a great focus on uh, low latency. Every super-powered feature has exactly zero latency, except time stretching, because obviously going from time domain to frequency domain requires a few examples of delay, but that's it. 
So using Superpowered, you eliminate any technical debt for your startup, for your application, because immediately you can um, create desktop class applications on a mobile device and you can immediately move it to iOS and Android without depending on core audio on iOS or OpenSLES on Android. And it contains almost everything. So it has audio decoders, players, time stretching effects such as reverb, echo, loop roll, stuff like that, and resampling and pretty much everything you can imagine in the audio world. And because uh, this package contains everything, this way your application will not depend on the underlying operating uh, system features such as MP3 decoding or simple audio playback. Okay, what would be a typical application that would use Superpowered? A typical application is a music instrument such as a synthesizer or some, you know, audio manipulation stuff or DJ softwares, pretty much everything which plays and manipulates audio games, even voiceover IP apps are using it. Okay, so if I've got an instrument app, a guitar app, I want to add a, a delay effect. Am I writing interface with Superpowered in, in C? How, how are we writing that? Mm-hmm. Superpowered has a delay effect. Actually, it's called Echo because <laughs> there are two names for the same feature, Echo and Delay. It's almost the same. So, um, yes, you write C++ code. Why C++? Because um, C++ is the only cross-platform language between iOS and Android. And you can also develop in C++ for macOS 10, even for Windows. So it's really a common denominator of programming languages. And also C++ is the only cross-platform language which is real-time and has the highest performance, except assembly as well, uh, of course. So yeah, this is a C++ library and you need to understand C++ quite good to use it. You don't need to be a super professional in C++, but you should understand the basic concepts how to allocate memory and, you know, simply how to talk with C++ classes. Unfortunately, this is an issue with new developers. I see with, with Superpower that most junior developers are focusing on high-level languages only, such as uh, Swift or Objective-C, and they don't really spend any time with lower-level stuff such as C or C++. While I still think that understanding C and C++ is a core knowledge for every kind of native application developer, because serious stuff, if you really make some serious stuff, then C and C++ are the only cross-platform and and high-performance languages. So you can talk with the operating system features or the UI library using Objective-C or Swift, but any serious processing should be really done in C or C++. So what makes C++ and C so good for performance? Because they they don't hide anything. So they don't have garbage collection. They don't have too many automatic things going on behind uh, in the background. And almost every C or C++ feature is really well optimized because those languages are the basis for writing operating systems and stuff like that. So 
even the Apple's own stuff, uh, such as UI Kit or all of the other frameworks for iOS are written in C and C++. So it's really the, the foundation of every operating system and framework today. Do you find, though, that having superpowered be a C++ library, I guess you sort of touched on this, but is that sort of a barrier to getting people to use it? It seems like a lot of people who are writing an iOS app or an Android app just want to write an Objective-C or, or Swift or Java. They don't really, a lot of them don't know C++. Even if they do know it, it's sometimes not the most fun language to work in. Um, yes, I agree. So. <laughs> Currently, we see three types of developers. There are the very pro developers who, who understand and use C and C++ very well. And perhaps they are, you know, older dev guys with lots of experience. They can use superpowered immediately without any hassle. Uh, actually, it's really easy to use for them. Then there are the, let's call the average developers who still understand and can write C and C++ code, but they need a little bit of help. And uh, we, often provide them uh, support via email or Zendesk or stuff like that. And there's the third layer, the junior devs. They focus on the fancy languages, such as Swift is a very hot topic today. And they don't really understand. And, they, and they, at least in this moment, they are not really interested learning C and C++. And then they cannot really use superpowered because it's too complex for them. Not superpower this complex, but C and C++ in general. We know that superpower doesn't serve well junior developers. And we have plans for creating a, let's call it an audio engine, which is programmable from high level languages, such as Objective-C or Swift. And then similar to AV audio engine, which is really a layer on top of core audio. So we plan to release an audio engine uh, like that. Obviously, we need more time to make it happen. This is how audio engines work, by the way. So they are basically created for junior devs, for easy prototyping. And then if you would like to do any serious stuff, then you must dig deeper. So like on iOS, um, you start experimenting with AV audio engine, and then you will quickly realize that it's not not that sophisticated, so you go down to core audio. We plan a similar route with a custom audio engine built around Superpowered, uh, but currently we don't have that, so you need to dig immediately deeper and use the core Superpowered functionality. Now, is Superpowered built on top of core audio for the iOS part or the Mac? Definitely not. Superpowered have everything inside. So from audio decoders to every DSP functionality, everything is, is developed by ourselves. So even the, the math algorithms, we do novel mathematics research to provide you the best performance on mobile. So this is why we don't use anything. Obviously, audio input and output must be available. And the only way to talk with the iOS audio system is, is core audio. Uh, specifically the remote I.O. class or audio unit. But that's the only core audio we are using, uh, feature we are using now. I was just going to say, I don't think there's a way to get audio in and out of the device without core audio, but that's pretty cool that you've been able to write something completely independent of core audio other than that. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And core audio is the only user space 
solution to talk with all your hardware. I wish if there would be a workaround or to bypass but that route, but fortunately the, uh, the media server in iOS is written very well and you can reach really low latencies with remote IO. So this is not, not a problem on iOS. We have way more serious problems on Android where the audio engine, uh, no, the media server, which handles the audio hardware, audio input and output is quite poorly, not just poorly written, but poorly designed. And audio latency on most Android devices is simply horrible. And this is a great thing to, you know, prevent professional audio uh, applications to appear on the Android platform. And unfortunately, there is no workaround, at least in the user space. Do you find that that holds apps back on the platform? I mean, it seems like a lot of the serious audio apps are on iOS and not really Android. And I wonder also if there's anything going on that may change that situation. It seems like a pretty glaring downside for Android. Yes, definitely. There are multiple problems um, regarding audio for Android. One is device fragmentation. The native audio functionality available through OpenSL ES is not fixed, meaning it can be different from device to device. On some devices, you can have a three-band equalizer. Other devices, the equalizer is gone. It's like having a audio uniting with core audio available on iPhone 4 only and yeah, another one available on iPhone 6 only. But obviously, there are way more Android devices available. Uh, so this is one problem. Fortunately, Superpowers solves this problem because we are doing everything inside, so you don't need to use any manufacturer-dependent audio feature. Other problem is OpenSLES itself. Uh, well, it's not a pretty API. Uh, I don't know if you, you have ever saw some OpenSLES code. Did you guys? No. It's a... I wrote some. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's quite an ancient-looking interface. Unbelievable. So even if, if you would like to do... Remember core audio stuff, uh, spaghetti code. You need to write a lot of spaghetti code to just to get a, a core audio feature working. Now multiply that by two or three for OpenSLES. Uh, it's really horrible. And the third thing uh, with Android audio is the media server. Uh, so... Even if we solve all the other problems with superpowered on Android, the media server handling audio input and output is not good on Android. It has a huge latency. And while Google is continuously trying to improve that situation, the first announcement was in 2011 or 12. And since then, every Google I.O., they announced some baby steps and, you know, reducing audio latency. But they are still not there because the Android media server have a huge design problem. The two biggest problems with Android's media server is it has a push method. So it's not like on iOS, you know, the audio hardware, the sound card dictates when uh, the next piece of audio is you need to produce. On Android, it's the opposite. So it's like the application pushing audio down to the audio hardware and certainly it gets out of sync all the time. So the Android media server tries to mask this problem. And the other problem is that the media server doesn't talk 
with the audio driver directly. There is a another layer, it's called the Android Audio HAL, the HAL. It's provided by the manufacturers of, of the Android devices. And it's also often modified by the vendors, such as you know, Verizon or AT&T, tweaking audio settings with the audio driver. And in many cases, it's horrible. So Google should really tighten the grips on this, I think. So this is the main problem with Android's media server. But we have written a um, very detailed article about this. It explains all the elements of the audio chain of Android and all the pain points are displayed. And we try to write this article to be understandable for everybody. So, so you don't need a very deep technical knowledge to understand what's the problem. I'm curious, changing topics just a little bit. Is Superpowered something you sell? Is it free? Is it open source? Sort of what's the model or motivation for the library? Oh, yes. Great question. And I don't know why I didn't mention this. Superpowered is free for application developers. So if you have a application and you distribute it either in the App Store or the Google Play Store or any kind of App Store, then Superpowered is completely free for you, regardless your success. So even if you have a application used by millions of users, it's totally free for you. Except one small feature, HLS, HTTP live streaming playback. There is a custom license fee for that. But if you don't use HLS, then Superpowered is completely free for you. Now, if I'm going to introduce this into my app, how are we kind of connecting the C++ world with Objective-C or Swift? Mm -hmm. How is that typically done? Objective-C is the easiest because uh, basically there are two languages, Objective-C and Objective-C++. And in Objective-C++, you can use C++ classes inside and you can do any kind of C++ code inside without any limitation or restriction. And to magically convert a Objective-C file to Objective-C++ is very easy. You just rename the file from .m to .mm. So you just rename the extension from .m to .mm, and it will magically become a Objective-C++ file. The only thing to, to deal with is uh, that in the header file, you shouldn't put any C++ code or references because that way you will get a lot of compiler errors because the pure Objective-C classes will have problems understanding the C++ code you put in the header file. So every reference to C++ uh, stuff must be inside your .mm file. So that's the only thing you, you need to do. Rename it to .mm and store the member variables in the mm file. That's it. Uh, with Swift, there's the famous or infamous bridge solution. So um, you put your C++ code into an Objective C++ file, and then you create a bridge, bridging header to talk between Objective C++ and Swift. Unfortunately, even with Swift 2.0, there is no way to use uh, a C++ code directly inside Swift. Yeah, it seems like one of the places where Objective-C still has a leg up on Swift is if you're trying to interact with C++. I guess another solution is to wrap the C++ API in, in a pure C API, which works for some 
kinds of libraries and then C has decent interop with C or Swift has decent interop with C now. But yeah, um, many developers are still thinking uh, that Swift is the main language for iOS developments, but it's simply not true. Uh, it's still Objective C and Objective C. More APIs are available for Objective C and C than Swift. Yeah, and I think that was even more true before Swift 2.0 because of the C function pointer limitation in Swift 1. Uh, that made it so you really couldn't use some of the pure C, C APIs that uh, require you to pass in C function pointers, or at least couldn't use them without a lot of extra trouble. Yeah, you know, Swift is great for like 90% of every case uh, of most applications, and it's a great prototyping tool, and you can, you can have a great fun with it. And how I see that both Google and Apple is trying to create APIs which covers... 90% of all cases. So if you, you are just building a regular app, a Twitter client, a simple sprite-based game, or, you know, 90% of the applications are perfectly fine with Swift and they can be written with Swift. And it's true for the frameworks as well. Every iOS framework or Android framework covers like 90% of all functionality ever required by developers. But there's the rest. There's the 10%. When you really need to create something serious, something unique, some sophisticated processing stuff, then you can quickly find yourself outside of these frameworks, outside the convenience of the iOS SDK or the Android SDK. And this is where complex things start to happen. And in the audio world, you can quickly find yourself in the in this unique ten percent. Yeah, definitely audio processing is so far outside the realm of what we're normally doing, you know, dragging things onto nibs and things like that and wire things up and network responses. It's, it's definitely a different world. Very cool world. Mm-hmm. And small. <laughs> this is true. So as the audio geek, I was wondering what were the, the algorithms that you developed that helped you get ready for a superpowered that you used in your DJ app? Mm-hmm. I started to create novel algorithms from scratch in 2009 and specifically for, for my DJ player application, simply because many of the features available on desktop DJ softwares running on laptops and, and desktop computers were simply not portable to mobile devices because, you know, at that time we had the iPhone 2, iPhone 3G with a 400 megahertz processor and it was simply impossible to port a desktop class audio feature. So I started all this research and then I found a pattern or more like a set of optimization methods, which became the core of superpowered. So now we have a unique and patent pending, by the way, (laughs) optimization method, how to create super efficient audio processing on mobile devices. And this optimization method starts from mathematics research. So it's not like taking an existing code in C++ and then optimizing the hell out of it, but it starts from mathematics research. And from that point, it goes down to the last line of handcrafted assembly code. And this way you can have huge performance gains. Very often we see 100 times of performance improvement over regular C code. So the performance difference is huge. 
It's like, I, I'm always saying that having a, a new CPU is nice. You can get 1.5 to 2.0 performance increase, but throwing a better developer to your problem can do not 1.5, not 2.0, but 10, 20x performance. Before we finish the show, I, I, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about DJ Player and about the DJ market on Sure, iOS. sure. That's, I really would like this. That's my favorite theme still. <laughs> this is something, like I said, I work on DJ software for my day job, uh, mostly on the desktop, but we have one iOS app and are always kind of... Which one? Kind of have our, uh, iMashup is our iOS app, but I work for Mixed In Key. So mm-hmm. I work on all of Mixed In Key's Mac software. So is, is the Flow 8 is your new product, right? Yeah, we launched that last week. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. But it's been interesting to see sort of the proliferation of DJ apps on iOS. Native Instruments has a version of Tractor for iOS, and there are a lot of, like, Algorithm has DJ, which has been pretty big. Um, what do you think is sort of behind this move to iOS for DJing? Because my initial thought was that I didn't know if iOS devices were really that well suited for actual DJing. Actually, they are perfect, perfect for DJing, I think. And this was my original uh, statement in 2009 as well. So immediately when I saw the first iPhone, I thought that these devices will be the main hubs in the DJ booth because obviously not the first iPhone, but the iPad is a super robust device for the stage. I think it's it's better than a laptop. So personally, I never liked uh, laptops in the DJ booth and on the stage because it doesn't look natural for me. Laptops doesn't really look looks like instruments on stage. They look like laptops. And a, a DJ should perform on DJ gear and the DJ should contact with the crowd and read the crowd and not look like, you know, doing Facebook up there. But the the iPad or iOS devices look like instruments. You know, they are touchscreen instruments and they really don't look like computers on the stage. And from the DJ's point of view, a iOS device is more robust than a laptop. In the last six years, I bring my iOS devices tons of times to the stage and they are really robust for that purpose. While I saw many laptops having several problems up there, processing-wise, the current iOS devices are awesome. So they really have desktop class performance. And if you you take the advantage of the ARM 64-bit architecture, then actually you can create faster processing than on desktop devices. With Superpowered and with DJ Player on a 64-bit ARM device, we often have faster track analysis than with my Core i7 on Mac OS X. So I think iOS devices are better than laptops up there. The only small problem is iTunes is itself and Apple Music. It's not super friendly to manage your music and this make available offline stuff like that. And playlist management is not perfect. But these things will be, you know, eventually solved in the future. When I started DJ Player, my goal was from day zero, my goal was to to provide a professional DJ application, which is really usable 
on the stage in the front of a real audience in, you know, in, in real clubbing situations. And it's still the only application, I believe, in the App Store with this focus because, uh, yes, we have Algorithms DJ, hugely popular, Tractor DJ, but those applications are not really targeted for the everyday performing DJ on the stage. These are more having fun at home and having fun for bedroom DJs, but they are not really made and designed for professionals. Part of sort of our problem with iOS is the pricing structure on iOS. It's hard to charge very much for your app. And this, people talk about this a lot. Developers talk about this a lot. But how have you found the market to be in terms of actually making money? Because DJ Player is not a, it's free, but you've got in-app purchase. So it seems like you are actually trying to make some money with it. The App Store in general is not the place making you rich. There are a few exceptions, but even if you, if you make a, a really popular application, the App Store is, is not the place for huge money. DJ Player is doing well. It pays my bills, but it will not going to buy me a new Tesla. <laughs> Recently, uh, became available some revenue estimation tools for the App Store such as Sensor Towers, uh, Revenue Estimation, or Epenis, Intelligence, whatever stuff. And you can see there that even Algorithm or Native Instruments with Tractor doesn't really make any, you know, serious money. So the situation there, money-wise, is not that bright or funny. I'm doing the DJ Player because it's my... It's my mission. It's my mania. And money is, um, well, it's, it's secondary. And even if, if DJ player would generate the same revenue as algorithms DJ, which is the top grossing, that's still not much. That's about our experience too. We have a iOS app on, on the app store that does quite well for an iOS app, but it certainly can't support the whole team. You know, we make you know, money on the desktop. On, on the DJ market, you can make money, serious money with hardware, especially with MIDI controllers. That's the product which keeps companies alive. And the DJ market in general, including not the iOS apps, but everything to the latest Pioneer, Super, Nexus, whatever player, is still small worldwide. So the DJ market is really, it's like, I don't know, $120 million per year. That's not a huge market. And it covers every DJ gear and stuff. And people doesn't really want to pay for apps. People pays for physical goods, such as a MIDI controller. It's a, a quite strange situation, but because a MIDI controller, what, what is a MIDI controller? A few knobs, buttons, and faders sending signals to the computer or iOS device. And that's it. A MIDI controller doesn't really have any serious logic or software inside. It's it's really a simple device. A MIDI controller is really just a box with faders, knobs, and buttons sending messages. And the majority of the work is done by the DJ software. The DJ software does everything, right? It plays, decodes audio, plays audio, time stretches audio, resamples, looping, effects. Everything is done by the DJ software, but people doesn't really want to pay for that. People want to pay for a dumb box. That's the reality. 
Yeah, it, I don't I don't quite understand it either, but it's certainly the big players like Pioneer and Native Instruments are not making money on their software. They're making it on their hardware. Correct. Of course, the same is true of Apple, right? Seems like a decent model. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, people just simply learned that software is free, no? It is free. It's it's something you can get. And most people doesn't really understand software at all. So what is it? Um, how does it work? Mm, I don't know. It's not something I can touch. So it doesn't seem so significant. Average people doesn't really pay for software. And of course, there's the, the problem of the markets outside of the developer world where software is absolutely free in people's minds. And by the way, every kind of uh, non-material product, such as movies and music and everything which you cannot touch, then it must be free. Here's a small story. In 2005, I live and work and born and raised in Hungary, right? It's east in uh, Central Eastern Europe. And in 2005, I was presenting with my friend in, in the Midem conference in Cannes, France. And at the Midem conference, I asked a app, some kind of senior vice, blah, blah, president of Apple. Personally, I asked him in 2005, why the iTunes music store is not available in Hungary? Because in 2005, almost every MP3 player sold in Hungary was an iPod. Everyone had iPods here. But you couldn't purchase any music legally because the iTunes music store was not available in Hungary. So I asked him, what's the reason? He really didn't know. They didn't care. It's a small market anyway, so they can do it later. And I told him, mm, this is 2005. People are already know that they can download MP3 from the internet for free. And if you don't make iTunes Store available in a few months, then it becomes a cultural phenomenon that people will think that music is a free audio file you download from the internet from some pirate place. He told me, mm, uh, we don't really care. And then finally, in, I don't remember, 2010 or something like that, they made the iTunes Music Store available in Hungary. And guess what? It's still not popular. Almost nobody's using that. Not even Spotify, not even Deezer, not even these fancy streaming services. Why? Because of the ignorance of big companies, people uh, in this region simply learned that music is a pirated audio file which you can download free to your computer and then you can transfer it to your iPod or iPhone and stuff like that. So kind of a missed opportunity for big companies that, you know, they create a culture around piracy because they didn't make the, the content available in time. No, it's pretty common. Like, just as you said, if you can get something easily, you're going to. Even if it's, if it's free, if it's, a, if it's a pain to do, you're not going to do it. But if it is something you can do, you don't have a, a paid alternative that's easy, they're going to take the free, the free approach, just like you said. Yeah, and today, these um, piracy or, or you know pirate MP3 uh, websites are very often <laughs> more convenient than the iTunes Music Store itself. 
both on the UX side. So I, I can get the music way quicker from there than from the iTunes Music Store. That's stupid. Of course, I don't do that. I'm an iTunes match subscriber and stuff like that. So I didn't say anything. Well, you could, theoretically. Yes. Yep. People build a habit one way and then it's hard to get them to change. Yeah. They will not change. I guess to make money from selling music, even through direct MP audio file sales or from streaming services, the only markets left are in the developed world, in the Western world. And then outside of it, everyone just gets it free. And same happens with movies, TV series, stuff like that. All right. Well, should we get to picks? Mm-hmm. All right. Jane, do you have some picks for us? Okay, I don't really have a proper pick, but I have a... You have an improper pick? I have an improper pick, a recurring pick. I picked Hardcore History, the Countdown to Armageddon series on World War One, probably a couple of months ago, two, three months ago. I finally finished it, and I'd say, hey, it's still worth it. So, like 20, 30 hours of World War One, and it's all very good. So, there we go, Hardcore History. That's my pick. All right, Andrew, do you have some picks for us? I've just got one pick today. It's not programming related at all, but I like to make ice cream at home and I make ice cream fairly often. And I have two ice cream makers. One's the kind that you put ice and rock salt in. And, and then I have one that's like a bowl that you put in the freezer for 24 hours and then you can use it on a stand mixer. And I, I like both of those, but they both have problems in that the one with ice and rock salt is kind of messy and you got to go buy bags of ice and salt and it's kind of a hassle. And the freezer bowl one, well, you have to prepare 24 hours in, in advance and you can only make one batch because you have to freeze it again before you make another one. So I finally shelled out for an ice cream maker with a built-in compressor and it's made by Winter and I I really like it. It's not cheap, so if you don't make ice cream often it's certainly not worth it, but um it's kind of kind of nice to be able to just make it as many batches as I want whenever I want with no preparation. So that's my pick. Mike, what are your picks? All right. Uh I'll make up for the lack of programming on that last one. I've got two today. One is the aggregate magic algorithms. This is a, just a fun set of code that you can use for doing really basic uh, like integer manipulations and things like that. They've got a bunch of things like if you ever need to reverse the bits in a number and uh, you can compute the uh, like the log base 2 of an integer or see if something has a power of 2. It's a bunch of really cool tricks that you can use for doing these things more efficiently than your sort of more typical for loop overall the bits approach. And uh, it's written in a really sort of approachable style and it's got it lists code examples for each one. And uh, I've actually used a couple of these, not very commonly, you know, they don't pop up that often, but it's just really fun to read through and sort of get ideas for how to do things differently. The uh, the other one is Solarbotics. They're a company that sells a bunch of uh, robotics-related electronics. They, as the name sort of indicates, they specialize in uh, solar panels and related equipment. They have a bunch of kits available for these things called Miller Solar Engines. And basically what they are is a, a big capacitor and a set of circuitry that allows you to build something that collects sunlight slowly over a period of a few seconds or even a few minutes. And then it stores that energy and then it unloads it all in a big pulse so that you can drive a motor intermittently with it, for example. And uh, I built a little floor light-seeking floor-traveling robot with these things. And uh, they've got a lot of cool stuff and it's a lot of fun. So those are my two. All right. I've got a couple of picks. Uh, the first one is I'm still doing the 15-minute chats with people who listen to the show. So if you go to ifreakshow.com slash 15 minutes, that's one five minutes. I am happy to talk to you. I've had several people go, I'm new to programming or new to iOS or JavaScript or whatever programming, depending on what show they listen to. And I'm just not sure that I have good feedback. I want to hear from everybody. 
And I think new people have an interesting perspective to give. So no matter if you're a veteran or new, I want to talk to you and just figure out what you're getting out of the show. So yeah, go sign up at that link. One other pick that I have, I backed a few Kickstarter campaigns over the last year. And uh, one of the things that I backed was the Pebble Time Watch. I'm still waiting for a sign that uh, hooks up to my computer to show up at my door, but that's another thing that tells people I'm on the air. But anyway, this Pebble Time Watch uh, is really cool. It's a smart watch, kind of like the Apple Watch, except much uh, less expensive, and I'm really enjoying it. We had a discussion with Neil Ford about ambient information, and I think this does it. It's just not as finely tuned to work with the iPhone as the Apple Watch is, but I'm really enjoying being able to get notified when things are going on and I've been finding different apps that interface with the watch nicely. So when I get a text, it hums on my phone or on my watch. When somebody is trying to get a hold of me on Skype, it does. You know, I can control my music, whatever I'm listening to, music or podcasts with the Pebble Time. So anyway, I'm really digging it. I still want an Apple Watch, but it's kind of down the road. And uh, for the meantime, this is a really good alternative if you're not willing to drop whatever it costs for the Apple Watch. Um, I think this one was only a hundred and something dollars. And this one's the color one. I got the Pebble Time Steel, so I should be getting a metal band to go with it. But the leather band that comes on, it's really nice, too. So anyway, that's my pick. Gabor, what are your picks? My pick, I have one pick. My pick is the DFT Applied by Stefan Bernsee. It's a 16 years old article on the Internet, and it's still the best explaining FFT and Polar Transform. These are very important for audio developers. I think every developer who's into audio uh, should read this because this is a great article explaining what this time domain to frequency domain stuff is all about. How do you get the phases and magnitudes from an audio stream what they really represent and what FFT does behind the scenes to provide you this data. It's, it's a, it's a very interesting article, a bit complex to understand and you need like four to five runs over it to fully understand. But after you understand it, it's a great knowledge. All right. Well, thank you for coming. If people want to know what you're up to or check out your DJ software or anything like that, uh, where should they go and what should they do? My DJ software is available in the App Store and its website is djplayerapp.com. It's free to download and you can try every single feature for free. Um, so, you know, I support this try before buy movement. And then if you find it good, and if you choose it as a weapon of choice, then please purchase it. We're using an in-app purchase. Audio developers, please go to superpower.com, which solves lots of headaches, audio-related headaches on iOS and Android. All right. Well, thank you for coming. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you all later. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at iFreakShow.com to 
slash porn. 